Previously on Transformers University, we talked about the centerpiece of the Transformers fictional universe, the 1986 animated feature Transformers the Movie, and we continue with our look into the second half of that film right now on uh, Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner-operator Madman behind TFU.info, the podcast, the social media, the YouTube channel, and more. And first, I want to thank you for joining us on the first 50 episodes of this ride, uh, uh, this class of show, if you will. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we've had a lot of great guests, and I want to thank everyone that's uh, helped out and contributed uh, that said, uh, last episode had a ton of contributions, and I'm pleased to say that this episode does as well. So I'm not going to uh, go too much further into the usual opening stuff. We'll talk about that at the end of the show. But I want to get you caught up uh, to where we are in the film and to just the general vibe of Transformers the movie. And for more on that, Going to toss it over to the gang from a podcast called Autopod Decepticast for more. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Aaron, Ryan, and Caleb of the Autopod Decepticast. That is the podcast that brought you a minute-by-minute breakdown of the 1986 Transformers movie. The challenge is to share a moment of Transformers the movie that stuck with you long into adulthood. Ryan, why don't you go first? Hey, thanks. Challenge accepted. <laughs> um, basically, for this movie... It was kind of the first example for me of the changing of the guard, um, like moving product line. I mean, now I know it's moving product lines. Got to move units, um, transitioning from basically you know Optimus and all the uh, those guys into Rodimus and the new characters. Um, and it's an example of one that is pretty extreme. Like I can't think of another another example where you just dump all the old characters and start with a whole new slate. I mean, like. Um, there's some examples like season five of Cheers where Rebecca and the corporation takes over from Sam or like season four of Star Trek because the writer was like in season three, I want to end this um, and it t- changes over. But I mean, I also I just I liked the new characters, too. Ultra Magnus is the best like a hot rod Rodimus, I can kind of take or leave. <laughs> He's not great, uh, although I loved him as a kid. I mean, I was the, he was the one I identified with as a kid. Um, Cup, RC, I mean, Springer, who really should have been the leader. Um, they were all well-designed. They had they had traits. So, yeah, I mean, they, I liked the characters. that they were well-developed. Well but, like, just a hard smash cut from Optimus to Rodimus and the new characters in 2005, that was... It wasn't jarring, but I was on board. But it's, I, like I said, I can't think of another example where you was so extreme in a in a kids' show. So, so your one moment that it stuck into you into adulthood was the changing of the guard. It was, that, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, it was really. It's weird. <laughs> who are these new people? I was like, who are these new guys and, showing and, up? And a girl? Oh, good, good, good girls. It wasn't like I'm like, oh no. It was more like I'm like, all right. I guess this is what we're doing now. <laughs> I just, I guess I was a perfect consumer. Yeah. And as an overarching aspect, uh, for the thing that stuck with me was just that the artwork was really as perfect as it could get with the line work and the detail, particularly as you got into the close-ups and saw some of the greeblies and all oh, that good great. stuff. And the explosions specifically were just bright 
and luscious and, <laughs> Succulent. and purple and red and blue. And as a young kid that liked to draw violence and depictions of violence, that was always kind of the benchmark that I'd try and emulate on paper. And you can catch more of the gang from Autopod Decepticast on their podcast, Autopod Decepticast. They did the whole movie minute by minute. So if you're enjoying these Transformers the movie uh, episodes, please uh, go check them out. I didn't do the whole podcast yet. I've been about three episodes in, but uh, they do a great job of uh, picking apart every minute of this film. So that's where we are. Uh, Starscream is dead. Unicron has created Galvatron. The Autobots are reeling from the death of Optimus Prime. And now Unicron decides to attack the first of the Cybertronian moons, Moon Base 1. Jazz and Cliff Jumper call Earth and uh, radio in that they're in trouble. Blaster picks up the call and uh, Jazz and Cliff Jumper attempt to escape Unicron but are sucked in uh, to his uh, maw, I guess is probably the best word. From Moonbase 2, Bumblebee and Spike see what is going on and they have a plan to stop him. They set explosives on the moon to blow up the entire base and the moon in order to stop him. Uh, but it doesn't work, which leads to this famous line. Look, it isn't even dented. Oh shit. What are we going to do now? And normally I don't allow cursing on the show, but uh, I think it was important to play that one. Uh, that line, those that particular, that expletive is not in the storyboards and the rationale, the, the popular belief behind, including that phrase in the film, was to boost the rating up from a G rating, general audiences, to a PG rating, parental guidance. Uh, and the reason the studio uh, is believed to have wanted to do that was strictly to boost uh, ticket sales. So instead of parents, say, being at the mall and dropping their kid off at the movie while they go around and do something for an hour and a half or two hours... Uh, depending on how strict the movie theater was, now the parents were going to the movie with their kids or sending an older sibling or sending uh, a relative to take them. Uh, so it no longer became just one child admission. It became a child and an adult. So, yeah, that, that phrase is in there simply as a cash grab. Now, from that moment, Bumblebee and Spike are both sucked into uh, Unicron and Galvatron, not happy that Unicron is going after bits of Cybertron. How dare Unicron! Cybertron and all its moons belong to me! But remember, we belong to him. So, Galvatron heads to Earth where we find the Autobots uh, doing some repairs on Autobot City and planning to stop a Unicron, and in that group of Autobots, if you look closely, is the Dinobot Snarl, who was not there with the Dinobots previously. Uh, while the Autobots are doing this, Galvatron attacks and is flying Cyclonus. Uh, that is an odd combination, uh, especially since he was given a ship. And um, so this is one of those things that goes back to the early days of the cartoon where uh, size and mass tend to shift a lot. After Blur fails to wrangle the Dinobots, Hot Rod and Cup are ordered to uh, do so and get them onto the shuttle. And uh, this is where uh, they lasso Grimlock and uh, push some of the other Dinobots on. And it's interesting to note here, uh, 
as we mentioned before, the storyboards can be uh, a bit different, as we mentioned previous episode. And uh, in the storyboard, Hot Rod actually lassos Sludge, not Grimlock. Now, the Autobots uh, flee the uh, incoming laser fire. And one of the things that's in the storyboard that actually does play into what happens in the final film but didn't make it into the film is that during the scene where uh, laser fire is raining down, RC gets shot in the back by Scourge while running to the shuttle. Uh, She falls down but then picks herself up, and we'll explain why that's important in just a second. So the shuttle with Hot Rod Cup and the Dinobots depart. The rest get onto the second shuttle and are beginning to pull away, but RC is late because... She was shot in the back. Uh, there is no explanation for this in the actual film, but in the storyboards were revealed that that shot in the back is why she wasn't the, on the shuttle with the rest of the team. Also in the storyboard, the ship has trouble getting higher up and uh, catching up to Hot Rod's ship. Uh, in the process, it shoots down a pair of sweeps, and the battle actually goes on a bit longer. So this escape scene is actually a bit longer in the storyboards, and without getting into too much detail, um, there's actually like a little bit of a radio conversation between Ultra Magnus and Cup, and they use a trick that they've used in a previous battle. They mention it, and Cup kind of mentions it in one of his stories, and they get away a little further for just a second, and Galvatron goes, they did that same thing to Megatron. Um, So it's an interesting little tidbit that I'd slashed out of the film. Um that shows a previous uh, battlefield relationship between Ultra Magnus and Cup, as well as Galvatron accessing Megatron's memories. Eventually, the Autobots' uh, ships catch up to one another. They're safe for now, and Cup decides to regale the Dinobots with a story. Yep, I remember the dust was so thick off Beta 4, you had to use windshield wipers on your optic sensors. Me, Grimlock, know all about wipers. Want to hear good part of story? Good part, Cup. Tell Swoop good part. And during the story, uh, Hot Rod is busy fighting with what's called the Autocombatant. It's a, a droid uh, for Hot Rod to train on. And uh, this scene is actually much longer in the storyboard. Uh, Hot Rod gets punched by the droid, and uh, as he's fighting it, uh, the droid gives Hot Rod uh, a tongue-out raspberry. Uh, And this is one of those moments in the film, uh, however brief that it may be, that uh, people use, myself included, to draw comparisons to uh, the original Star Wars film from 1977. And... You know, there there are certainly a lot of parallels. The look of RC, uh, Unicron being a planet that eats other planets, uh, much like the Death Star is a planet that blows up other planets. Um, and it's certainly a conversation. And next episode in the show, uh, I'm going to tease next episode right here. Um, we're going to have on a special guest, and that is my friend J.C. Reifenberg, uh, who is uh, a filmmaker, uh, movie producer, and uh, restaurateur, owner of the Scum and Villainy uh, Cantina in Hollywood. And he's also the producer of a podcast that you may listen to called Fat Man Beyond, formerly Fat Man on Batman. And J.C. is probably the most knowledgeable Star Wars fan I've ever met, and he's knowledgeable in a lot of things. And actually... Uh, the interview I did with him for next episode, 
will show you that he's also incredibly knowledgeable, not just about Star Wars, about film as a whole, and about the Transformers and Transformers the movie. Uh, and when I brought up the Star Wars comparison to him, he actually very easily defended how Transformers the movie was not derivative of Star Wars. And in particular to the auto-combatant scene and the Matrix, uh, he had a bit to say. So here, give a listen. This is very weird. I'm going to defend Transformers the movie against Star Wars. <laughs> All right. This will be the only time this ever happens. Uh, the training remote is a gimmick. I don't really think that you can say, like, yeah, that's a knockoff. But, like, it's a knockoff in such an inconsequential way, right? In Star Wars, the training remote is used to uh, as, a de- as a device to um, get you into the concept of the Force, right? It's a, it's a device that... Um, to, to give Obi-Wan Kenobi a reason to talk to Luke about the Force and then, you know, show that, oh, Luke has this magical power. In Transformers the movie, Hot Rod fighting that training remote has nothing to do with anything. It's background noise to show he's distracted before, like, the Galvatron ship shows up, right? So, right. like, it's, it, it's used in a completely different way. Completely different. Like in Transformers, the movie, it may be like a little wink to Star Wars, but it does. It, like, there's no critical information that comes from that scene. Where in Star Wars, it's the exact opposite. And as I said earlier, that entire interview will be available as episode 52 of Transformers University. However, if you are one of our Patreon students, our Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash tfuinfo, you can hear that interview right now. And... That interview is available to all of our patrons. So it's for just a dollar a month, uh, just for a dollar. If you just want to hang around for this month, uh, you don't want to wait until next week. You can hear that right now. Now, the Autobots, as uh, Hot Rod is training, uh, get attacked by Galvatron. And uh, Galvatron is firing uh, missiles at uh, Hot Rod and Cup's ship. And Ultra Magnus warns Cup over the radio that uh, Galvatron has fired, quote, uh, Moleculon missiles. Uh, so those missiles do have a name. They dodge those missiles, but uh, Cyclonus shoots down Hot Rod and Cup's ship, and Ultra Magnus is having a hard time managing. I can't deal with that now. So Magnus calls for an emergency separation to uh, trick Galvatron, and uh, their escape is masked by the explosion at the back of the ship. Uh, Unicron knows that this has happened, that Galvatron has been faked out and psychically stabs Galvatron. Galvatron and the Decepticons head to Unicron to find out what exactly is wrong. For now, Ultra Magnus's ship is safe and they plan to sit down on the, quote, planet of junk. We cut back to Hot Rod and Cup's location underwater, this strange planet that they've landed on that we'll eventually find out is a planet called Quintessa. The storyboard calls it an energy sea. And for more on this scene and this sea, I'm going to toss it over to Rob London from the Stasis Pod podcast. The moment in Transformers the movie I'm talking about that, uh, that really stuck with me is the uh, the underwater Quintessa scene. Uh, after the uh, after Hot Rod and Cup's shuttle crash lands on the uh, the strange planet, they both end up in a a strange robot 
occupied sea in which tiny robot fish are eaten by bigger robot fish and there's a big robot squid and uh, and a bunch of robot seaweed for some reason and everything's a somewhat uh, unappetizing shade of yellow but uh, I think the fact that it uh, it's just so strange and out of place and it, it really has that sort of prog rock album covery aesthetic like I I wouldn't be surprised if they had crawled up on uh, on shore and spotted a Tarkus. But that's, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting scene. It's got weird alien stuff in it. Um, nothing's going to stand in our way. Well, not a good song. It's very catchy. And uh, I am just all for anything that involves Transformers fighting giant robot animals for some reason. And you can catch Rob on Stasis Pod, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. And uh, I will keep put all that uh, information for Rob and for all the guests in this episode uh, in the show notes for this show. For this episode. Now, uh, something I noticed uh, this time watching uh, that underwater scene. Uh, the first mechanical fish eats a, a smaller mechanical fish, and this is uh, called out in the storyboard. Uh, that fish is actually called the evil fish. Uh, not the, but it's evil fish in quotes. And um, that fish eventually gets eaten by uh, a bottom dweller. I didn't notice that, uh, at least not to my memory. I've never noticed that before until watching it for this podcast, uh, that there's this silly little uh, vent that sucks up that same fish after he has eaten the smaller fish. Uh, also worth noting, the soundtrack is back on. We've moved from back from the score to actual um, uh, the heavy metal pop soundtrack, and this time it is uh, Nothing's Gonna Stand in Our Way by a band called Spectre General. Now, Spectre General never released an album because they were actually a band called Kick Axe. That's K-I-C-K-A-X-E. And... Uh, a band from Canada, but due to legal reasons, they could not release uh, the two songs they did for this record under their band name. So they are on this album as a band called Spectre General. Now under the sea here, a hot rod is trapped, but escapes with this weird little saw blade on his hand and uh, saves Cup from a giant squid. But Cup has been broken into pieces, which Hot Rod now needs to repair. And now we cut back to the planet of junk. And, you know, before we go on with the story here, it's something... Uh, I noticed with the storyboards for the first half of the film that they didn't do and that they did do for the second half of the film. So with the Battle of Autobot City and uh, the death of Optimus Prime and Megatron and, and all that stuff, we found some really neat stuff in the storyboards, right? But it cut away from the action that was going on, the battle between Optimus and Megatron. So um, it slowed the pacing down. It, it took your mind away from from the the task at hand, if you will. Uh, there's a lot of bouncing back and forth in the storyboard that didn't make it into the final cut. In the back half of the film, there's a lot of bouncing back and forth that actually does take away from the intensity of the scenes. You could just stay on Quintessa with Hot Rod and Cup for this entire time and then head back to the Planet of Junk and find Ultra Magnus and Blur and company and deal with that story. But instead, we bounce around between these two and to Unicron and to Cybertron instead of just kind of uh, stacking these segments all together in a more uh, linear way. 
So we arrived back at the Planet Junk, and the storyboard has Springer explain that uh, the Planet Junkion to Daniel, he explains what it is, and uh, it's, quote, the place where everything ends up after you throw it out. Uh, <laughs> kind of sounds like a few people's basements uh, that I know. So the Autobot ship, it crashes and uh, onto the Planet Junk, and it's time to repair. So uh, Daniel wants to help. RC gives him Spike's old exosuit. From here, we watch Daniel learn to walk and use the exosuit. And this is actually a bit of foreshadowing for later on and something the storyboard calls out uh, a few more times. And I probably won't mention them in this podcast, but there are other times in the storyboards where Daniel is trying to learn how to use the suit. Autobots go outside and uh, the junkions rise up from a piles of trash to see what's going on. And this scene is left hanging. This is my point about cutting back and forth. Um, this is really unnecessary. This feels more like something that's edited and designed for TV so that uh, commercial breaks can be dropped in uh, to later be paid off after the commercials. So back on Quintessa, Hot Rod and Cup are there, and uh, Hot Rod finishes the rebuild, and uh, they are off to try to find the Dinobots, but they meet the Quintesson guards instead. These guys are not Sharktacons, uh to, uh, contrary to popular belief, and uh, it's because they come up out of the water, I guess. But uh, uh, I don't know if it ever really dawned on me that they weren't Sharktacons until I was reading the storyboards uh, for this episode. Uh, but Cup has a plan in mind. Don't act hostile. I'll use the universal greeting. Universal greeting? Watch. I'll have him eating out of my hand. Now, <laughs> eating from his hand, uh, the next line, which was in the storyboard, and... Uh, not in the movie is that Hot Rod says, or our faces. Uh, <laughs> so Hot Rod's already leery of the Quintesson guards. And that is when Cup goes to phase two of his plan. Ba-weep grana weep ninibong. Ba-weep grana weep ninibong. Ba-weep grana See, the universal greeting works every time. Now, the universal greeting. This is not the first time we've encountered this. This goes all the way back to the first issue of the Marvel comic. Ba Weep Grana Weep Ninibong uh, is something taken directly out of uh, Marvel Comics uh, Transformers number one. So, Cup and Hot Rod then uh, try to give uh, the Quintesson Guard some Energon goodies and eventually run out. And that is when uh, the guards transform into their alligator mode. It's called a monster mode in the uh, storyboard and are attacked and captured. This is all seen by uh, a little orange Autobot that we'll find out is named Wheelie in hiding. And Cup and Hot Rod are led to the Quintesson court. There, they watch the trial of Arbalus, one of the Lithonians we saw in the first scene of the film. And uh, he is fed to the Sharktacons after being found innocent. The guards lead Cup and Hot Rod to a cell. And uh, it's fun to note here something, again, I didn't notice until I read it in the storyboards, um, and this made it into the film, is that the guards, as they're leading and putting Hot Rod and Cup into the cell, are saying, weep ninibong, weep ninibong, weep ninibong, over and over and over again. And here, give it a listen. Weep, 
So this prison cell, it's littered with mechanical body parts. And according to my friends over at TFWiki.net, those body parts are very reminiscent of mobile suit Zeta Gundam uh, limbs. Uh, whether or not that's intentional uh, has never really been figured out. But uh, Hot Rod and Cup meet Kranix, uh, the other Lithonian who had escaped uh the pull of Unicron. And Kranix tells them about Unicron before being taken away by the Krintasan guards, uh, a second set of guards with a new uh, animation design. These guys actually look a bit different than the ones we just saw earlier. And an uh, interesting note here is that uh, Kranix mentions that he is the last survivor of Lithone, uh, and that's the only time that planet's name is said out loud in the film. And Hot Rod and Cup then watch his trial and execution. We cut to the Dinobots who are lost on Quintessa, who meet Wheelie. Wheelie shoots Grimlock in the nose with his a slingshot and then eventually offers help to the Dinobots. Now, from here we cut to Unicron, where Galvatron returns. And uh, in the storyboards, this takes place prior to the previous uh, scene with the Dinobots. Now... Here, Galvatron is told by Unicron to go to the planet of junk, and he has a very specific fate for Ultra Magnus. And Ultra Magnus lives on the planet of junk. Stalk him. Tear him apart. Now, another interesting note here, even though I say the second half bounces around a lot, it actually bounced around even more in the storyboards. Because uh, right here in the storyboard, it is where the Spike and Bumblebee blowing up Moonbase 2 scene is. But we'll head over back to the planet Junkion as the Autobots continue to repair. The Junkions are watching as the Decepticons attack. Now the storyboard uh, actually cuts back to Quintessa here, but uh, we will stick here as the movie goes. And uh, RC, Blur, and Daniel begin running from the fire and transform to get away quicker. Blur tells Daniel to transform uh, before pulling away, and Daniel gets cut off by Shrapnel, who's not dead, and Scavenger. <laughs> and uh, it's here where Daniel figures out how to use the exosuit to transform and drive through them. Uh, the Autobots run for cover as Ultra Magnus decides to try to use the Matrix. Now, he seals his uh, teammates under a pile of junk, and then tries to open the matrix. Open? Damn it, open! Prime, you said the matrix would light our darkest hour. Magnus, I want the matrix. Never! Sweeps, terminate him! And thus, the sweeps destroy Ultra Magnus with their lasers. And for more on the effect of this scene, Here's Eric Crownover, the Crown Overlord of Nerdy Geek Talk Podcast Network, with more. So I would say that the moment that stuck with me the most from the movie is the death of Ultra Magnus, actually, which I know sounds uh, probably makes a lot of people uh, alarmed. But I, the, the death of Optimus Prime has always stuck with me, obviously. But I watched the movie all older into my life not not as young as most people did whenever it came out that were fans uh i watched it on my phone actually 
uh, on on my couch when I was like 14, I want to say, maybe 15, somewhere around there. Uh, but I didn't have the strong attachment to the G1 season one and two cast and such. I mean, it, it was still horrifying, but not not the emotional scarring that most people have. But um, Ultra Magnus's death, it always bummed me out because I always wanted him to be worthy and be the prime. And I loved Ultra Magnus so much. I don't know why. Um, and it had always like that that always bummed me out and so i kind of enjoyed the rest of the movie a little less i still like it but like deep down i've always just really n- not been happy about the fact that ultra magnus uh couldn't uh open the matrix and then was killed i thought he was you know being brave at the moment and i've i it, i think that moment has always solidified my uh i've always just felt for ultra magnus over other characters and he's become my favorite Autobot, if not my favorite Transformer of all time. Uh, so, I mean, I'm glad that he was revived uh, instantaneously, basically. But, um, yeah, his his death is actually the moment that's always stuck with me the most because I think that's always made me feel for the character more than anyone else uh, in the Generation 1 continuity, really. Now, you know, I mentioned last episode that there was a BotCon panel that went over some of the storyboard finds years and years ago. And one of the other ones that always stuck with me is that in the storyboards for this scene, Galvatron takes uh, Unicron's direction to have Ultra Magnus torn to pieces quite literally. He does not order the sweeps to terminate him, as we just played. The script says that the sweeps are ordered to, quote, quarter him. And instead of shooting him with lasers, they actually wrap laser lassos around him and draw and quarter him into pieces. Now, back to the film, Galvatron claims uh, the Matrix uh, and decides that he is going to use it against Unicron. And then we cut to a shot of Unicron uh, screaming in planet mode. And uh, this also not in the storyboard uh, design. Now, back on Quintessa... Cup and Hot Rod are held to trial by the Quintessons and are fed to the Sharktacons. And again, the soundtrack kicks in with the song Hunger from Spectre General. And we get an extended fight sequence with Hot Rod and Cup uh, defending themselves against the Sharktacons. Ultimately, they're outnumbered until the Dinobots and Wheelie arrive. They help them uh, defeat the Sharktacons and ultimately Grimlock gets the Sharktacons to turn on their Quintesson masters. And Wheelie reveals that there's a ship in the distance, and Hot Rod, Cup, and the gang go to it. Back on Junkion, the Autobots are mourning the loss of Ultra Magnus and the Matrix. Without the Matrix, there is no hope, no hope, no hope, no hope at all. But that mourning is not going to last for long. The Junkions arrive and attack the Autobots on their planet, and... It is here that the soundtrack takes a bit of a bizarre turn. And for more on that, here's one of my own Patreon subscribers, John Levengood, with more. Hello, everybody. This is John Levengood. And I want to share my thoughts with Transformers the movie. I'm talking about the specifically the Junkion fight scene with the Autobots. And uh, even more specifically about the background song, Dare to be Stupid by Weird Al Yankovic. 
Now, the time the movie came out, I was about seven or eight years old when it came out. Uh, ended up having to watch it on VHS because uh, the nearest movie theater from where I grew up was over an hour away. That being said, this movie, along with the fact that my parents picked up a two uh, cassette uh, compilation of Ray Stevens songs, um, I think influenced my uh, favorite music genres and artists, uh, Weird Al Yankovic, Ray Stevens being the top of the artists, and the comedy music genre in general being my favorite music genre. Um, you know, so I think I can transform, uh, attribute a lot of that to Transformers the movie. Now, I'm also, you would think that Dare to be Stupid, uh, would not be a great song to pick for a movie. However, if you look at the Junkions, they talk TV and, uh, things like that. And the actual song of Dare to be Stupid, if you listen to the lyrics, actually takes a lot of the old, uh, TV tropes of the time and flips them on their head. Specifically, Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys uh, is flipped over to Mama's do let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Um, you know, don't look a gift horse in the mouth turns into look a gift horse in the mouth. I mean, all sorts of things like that at the time, which makes sense for the junkie. And since they talk TV, that kind of would fall apart. Another neat thing I liked about uh, this scene is I believe the Junkions were uh, on any of the cartoons the first time you got to see motorcycle transformers and another neat thing about them is they would well you know the Junkions would ride uh, each other um, the you know and if the Bottlebots knocked them over um, they would flip flip positions one of the the one junkion that was riding would turn into a motorcycle and the one that was the motorcycle would turn into another junkion and they'd keep going um one of the things that kind of irks me as an adult looking at this scene coming back later in life though was this battle takes place shortly after ultra magnus gets blown to bits and uh you know at the end end before he gets repaired uh and uh hot rod and cup come down and uh uh give the universal greeting ba weep grana weep nini bong the everybody starts singing and dancing and then the junkions fix ultra magnus which you know kind of doesn't feel right um as an adult looking back on it but that's just a minor complaint of uh what i think was an otherwise admittedly looking through nostalgic eyes uh, a wonderful good good movie that uh, definitely I believe shaped my choice of music uh, far into the future and if you want to catch more of John he does have his own YouTube gaming channel which is 4x11gd so that is the word for f-o-u-r the letter x 11gd pronounced 4x11good uh, where you can check out his views on video games and more now, I think a couple more interesting things also about <laughs> Dare to be Stupid. Um, the first line of that song always gets me because the song opened. Like, the first line of the song is, put down the chainsaw and listen to me. And it just leaves you wondering, the hell was that guy doing with the chainsaw? Um, 
when the song started, like he's talking to somebody who's clearly has a chainsaw in their hand uh, and intends to use it for something. And uh, from his point of view, from Weird Al's point of view, uh, he's saying, look, I need you to put that down. Uh, I have something important to tell you. Uh, so that line, uh, for whatever reason, just um, gets me every time. Another interesting note here is that uh, Hot Rod and Cup, when they land the Quintesson ship onto Junkion, you can see Snarl in the cockpit of that ship. And uh, that is the only other time you will see him in this film. But uh, it's worth noting that that, um, that shot uh, in the storyboard contains Snarl. Like he is drawn in there. His name is written over uh, his character design which means he was specifically called for in that scene, which is weird since he was never specifically called for in any of the rest of the film. And uh, also in that fight, uh, some that we've talked about many, many times on this podcast, Blur, when he's fleeing the Junkions, um, is captured by a cartoon net. And for those of you who might be new to the show, you can never get away from a cartoon net. Now, the Junkions decide to rebuild Ultra Magnus and the uh, bots need to find Galvatron and the Matrix. And fortunately, Rekar has some inside information on that. The Matrix has gone. And with it, all hope. No! Galvatron has it. Where's Galvatron? Where is he? And the answer is... Unicron! So the Junkions join the Autobots and get on the two ships, and the ships launch. Uh, we go to Galvatron, who is attempting to use the Matrix on Unicron. And Unicron's not messing around. It's time for him to show Galvatron who he really is and transform. And for more on that, we're going to go back to the gang from Autopod Decepticast. I think that reveal of Unicron um, in its from planet mode into its full robot form, that really stood out to me. I, mean, I knew it was coming because... Uh, as we've stated before, we saw or I saw season three before I saw the movie. So I knew that that thing had to transform, but I only knew what its head looked like. So the, watching that transformational yeah. sequence was really good. And, and just from the way that the scene is set up, you've got Galvatron kind of fumbling at the Matrix and Orson Welles' <laughs> delivery of, uh, of the famous line. You underestimate me, Galvatron. Nailed it. So you know you're about to see some exciting stuff. From the, the first blast, there's this shine of light that comes up from the floor, and then just immediately, uh, you know, the ground splits, and all these internal pieces and parts are exposed and flipping. And my favorite part of my favorite part is really when Unicron's arms reveal themselves. They kind mm -hmm. of, like, from around the equator of the planet, they just kind of flip out, and there's his arms. And then, I like how the hands come Yeah, the, the way the hands reveal from the forearms, it's like the forearms move back, and the hand just comes out and kind of reaches at the camera in sort of a menacing way. And I also love how Galvatron reacts to all of it. And he's, you know, first he's freaking out, but then he's just kind of ducking and dodging for dear life. If somebody were ever make a proper video game based on Transformers the movie, I think a great platforming level oh. would be <laughs> Galvatron jumping around and dodging Unicron. Unicron side-scroller. Now, the APOT decast guys are not the only ones who are profoundly affected by this scene. My good friend, John DeLuna of Radio Free Cybertron, uh, also has some very distinct memories about this scene and Transformers the movie. 
Hello, I'm John DeLuna. I've been collecting and creating Transformers content for the vast majority of my life, starting in 1984. Uh, right now, I am one of the co-hosts on Radio Free Cybertron, which is a uh, podcast about Transformers that started back in 1999. And I have a few things to say about the 1986 movie. Uh, first, I, it's one of my earliest memories as a child that's still clear in my mind. I remember when I was six years old, uh, running into my parents' bedroom and jumping on their bed and showing them the magazine, uh, newspaper ad actually for the movie uh, and demanding that they take me to, uh, to the cinema. And, uh, and they did. And I remember after that initial viewing uh, for the next two to three years at my birthday parties, much to the chagrin of my friends, uh, demanding that the movie be played on any screen that was available at the pizza parlor or the showbiz pizza or wherever we were having my birthday party far after the 1986 movie was uh, cool or even Transformers themselves were cool. Uh, little John DeLuna uh, demanded that was playing in the background. And uh, I was... Uh, Dedicated to watching it at least once a year while my friends were off playing with uh, whatever the hot thing in 1989 was. But uh, the movie itself uh, really impacted me in one specific scene. And uh, spoilers, when Unicron transforms into a robot. Uh, that scene in particular um, has really stayed with me for all the things about it, not just the animation, the way things uh, slowly kind of like absorb into him, all these uh, protrusions and piston looking doodads and all these gribbly bits, uh, each one probably the size of a building, uh, all these things kind of slowly like merge into him and the surfaces on him start to kind of smooth out. Of course, his, when his hands are kind of revealed and they, they come out and uh, there's this like just this huge sense of mass and power uh, even when, yes, he reveals that he does have abs, uh, that he does get a workout in, uh, at least, you know, uh, six out of seven centuries, uh, Unicron is putting the work in, uh, everything about it, even the music behind the transformation, the kind of majestic, kind of awe-inspiring music, and the expression on Galvatron's face when he realizes, I've messed up, I, sh I should not have uh, annoyed this man, this giant space planet man. Uh, so that scene in particular is one that, uh, that I can remember vividly from, from the first thing that starts to twitch on him to the, to the moment he puts his hands on Cybertron that just encapsulated everything about that movie. Uh, as a six year old, it blew my mind. Um, and, uh, it's something that I'll, I'll never forget. So it's on. Unicron is attacking Cybertron. He is huge, and he is slamming his fists into the entire planet. Uh, the Decepticons go on the defensive to defend their planet. And uh, some of the neat things here, uh, Thrust, Dirge, and Ramjet fly into Unicron's mouth. Now, there's an explosion. Uh, whether or not they are exploding themselves or firing inside of his mouth is unclear. The storyboard doesn't actually say. And... Um, these characters will show up in season three. So to say that they exploded uh, would probably be inaccurate. Unicron then swallows Galvatron and the soundtrack uh, now switches back to the reprise of Dare as Hot Rod and Cup pilot the Quintesson ship through Unicron's eye, giving him his first real bit of damage. And 
man, that is brutal. They just drove, they just shoved a sharp object in his eye. Um, the Autobots jump ship, and Hot Rod lands across a spike inside of Unicron, while the rest of the group falls further down. That group is Cup, RC, Springer, and Daniel. Um, Unicron's uh, internal defenses, his uh, immune system, if you will, uh, begin to attack, so they flee. Hot Rod awakens and falls himself and ends up wherever the heck Galvatron ended up and finds Galvatron and the Matrix. Unicron psychically stabs Galvatron again and orders him to destroy Hot Rod. Now, outside of Unicron, the Dinobots fly up and over Unicron over his head and towards his rear. Me Grimlock kick butt! Now, you know, it's funny. I've never uh, realized this until watching this movie this time through. And I've seen this movie a lot of times. Um, that line is literal. Literal, literal. Um, Uni- Grimlock flies over Unicron and kicks him with his feet in his butt. Um, and the storyboard even calls for that, saying, medium shot, Unicron. Dinobots going towards his butt. And the way it's animated, it's all shown uh, kind of in perspective because they're so much smaller than him. Uh, you don't realize they're actually literally kicking his butt. And uh, the Dinobots attack that area, and eventually <laughs> they leave a hole, which means, that's right, folks, they literally tear Unicron a new butthole. Now, inside Unicron, the Autobots not named Hot Rod are trying to avoid Unicron's uh, internal defenses. Uh, they end up at one point where Daniel gets split off and they end up at what's inside of his stomach, I guess, according to the storyboards. It looks like some sort of smelting pool. And uh, we see uh, a bunch of robots on um, what I can only call like a mechanical clothesline um, with with claw arms that release them into this vat of acid. And there's two that are dropped in and they're ID'd in the storyboards as Decepticons. And further down... Daniel sees Cliffjumper Jazz, Bumblebee, and his dad. Dad! Daniel! Dad, what can I do? Knock down the acid cover! How? Blast it, son! But I don't have a gun! Use your exosuit! I find it funny here that it's called acid cover in the script. In the storyboard, it was called acid pump. And uh, I guess it kind of changes what it is. But this is the culmination, this scene. This scene is going to be the culmination of Daniel figuring out his exosuit. And they actually cut out a few other times where he was having a hard time learning it. And it takes him longer to learn to walk in the storyboard. Um, and again, if you want to check out the storyboard, it's uh, tfraw.blogspot.com. But for more on this scene, here is Chris McLeod from the Full Force Podcast. The Transformers animated movie holds a very special place in my heart and helped to shape my childhood along with many other great films and media during the 80s and 90s. When I was asked to come up with a single memorable moment from the movie that stuck with me to this day, my mind took me directly inside Unicron and to the fateful scene in which many Autobots and other species were being dropped into acid vaults. 
Daniel was separated from the Autobots and found himself at the ground level of one of these huge vats, only to see that his father Spike and a number of other Autobots were slowly heading for a fate worse than death. After a rather panicked conversation at great volume, Daniel realised he could utilise his boosters on his exosuit and with a bit of luck shot one of the supporting arms making one half of the vat door slam shut just as Spike was dropped. He thinks his dad is gone for a split second, and that sadness on his face for just that short moment hit me really hard. Considering the fact I've always struggled with the human aspect of Transformers, especially in the more recent films and media, it's surprising that this moment stuck with me for so long, especially when you think about Prime's death or Hot Rod opening the Matrix or the massive Battle of Autobot City. I guess the fact they were wearing exosuits helped. So we cut back to Hot Rod and Galvatron, uh, who are beginning their final fight. Uh, we get a weird cutaway, again, talking about bouncing around of Unicron uh, on top of Cybertron destroying things. Uh, he crushes a Junkion ship. And then we get back to Galvatron and Hot Rod fighting. And Galvatron is certainly confident about the outcome. First, Prime. Then, Ultra Magnus. And now, you... It's a pity you Autobots die so easily. And then Hot Rod grabs the Matrix. And for more on this scene, I'm going to toss it to my friend and host of the podcast's Hall of Justice and Sports with Friends. You may know him from NBC Sports Television. Maybe you know his writing from Forbes.com. Seth Everett with more. The one moment that's obvious is the death of Optimus Prime. So I'm not going to harp on that because I'm sure every other guest is going to. But my moment that I remember that sticks with me from that amazing film is when Hot Rod grabs the Matrix. And it's Peter Cullen's voice, Arise, Rodimus Prime. And when that happens... There's a changing of the guard. You didn't know at that time that Optimus was coming back. You didn't know where this was going. This was unprecedented for a cartoon, for an animated thing in the, in the 80s. And so Rodimus Prime was born at that moment, and he grows, and it's very quick, but they used Peter Cullen's voice, and I always thought that was the significant other moment. Besides the death of Optimus Prime, um, a lot of people talk about the creation of Galvatron. That's a, a, a great moment, and it's really well done, and the music bed is fantastic. But for me, it's that moment when Hot Rod grabs the Matrix and becomes the next leader of the Autobots, and that made me want to see the next season. That made me believe that he was going to figure it out, I didn't want him to ever lose it. I didn't want Ultra Magnus to be the leader. I wanted that because I had seen a toy. And so I kind of knew that it was going there, but I didn't know how. And the how is how they did it great. And that scene, that scene is huge. Uh, hearing Colin's voice uh, pass the torch is enormous. And so let's not speak about it in an abstract. Let's make sure we know what it sounds like. Arise, Rodimus Prime. You know, it's funny. Seth really went out of his way to choose a moment in the film that he really felt no one else would take. 
And so with that in mind, I'm going to toss it to Transformers YouTube personality Rodimus Primal with more. That part of the movie is so important because you have this kid who's, you know, he's carefree. He's, you know, runs headfirst into battle. Um, you know, a lot of people blame him for uh, for Optimus's death, which in my eyes, I believe it was purely Megatron. But, you know... Hot Rod was trying to do the right thing, but he had all of these experiences happen to him during the movie and it reaches this pinnacle moment. And what's also was so important about that moment in the movie is also Galvatron is literally telling Hot Rod, no, it's not your fault that 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 uh, Optimus died. It's my fault because I killed him. I killed Ultra Magnus and now I'm going to kill you. And you know, you have uh, Galvatron stating that because he's literally telling Hot Rod, hey, I'm all, guess what? I'm Megatron. And, you know, Hot Rod takes the Matrix and Optimus, from the grave, basically, from the Matrix, is telling Hot Rod, not only have you overcome all of the things that you've had happen to you up to this point, you are now reaching that pinnacle where you now become the hero you have taken this journey throughout the movie and you have the matrix and it, it's it's literally empowering you to stop galvatron to destroy unicron and bring peace back to cybertron it is like such a pinnacle moment when he he rises up and the matrix glows and he, he you know you see him physically get taller um and what's so important about it is is also because rodimus prime is my favorite character for for a lot of reasons he had this moment and of course during the third season he had to learn you know the responsibility of being a leader which anyone who's been in management or any form of leadership at all whatsoever understands those pressures but here you have to work your way to the top because you have to go through your failures. You have to go through your good, your bad, your ugly, and everything you've had happen to you. And here, Hot Rod pulls that matrix off of Galvatron and becomes Rodimus Prime. It is it, and and when Optimus, it the the word, it's literally Optimus is the one who's saying it. So it's it's so important. Um, for so many reasons, it's it it gives me chills. Just just you know talking about it because uh, uh man it's 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 such an awesome moment in the movie um it's by far my my favorite moment in the in the whole movie and i can i can quote the movie from from opening credit to closing credit but that moment in particular you know really stands out and it's funny because i really thought people would really latch on to the death of optimus prime as a moment in this film and last episode we really did only have one submission about that scene and so that's why i find it amazing that we have even more to talk about the impact of the birth of rodimus prime so with one more take on this scene is the legendary headmaster don of radio free cybertron being an older fan uh i'm i'll be 49 this year so i was there in the theaters when it opened and the part that stuck with me is right when Galvatron starts his speech to Hot Rod, first Prime, then Ultra Magnus, and now you. When he starts that, and Rodimus grabs the Matrix and tosses Galvatron off of him, and then you hear the touch starting, and you see Rodimus open the Matrix, and then you hear Optimus Prime saying, Arise, Rodimus Prime. 
that's when I realized this was something that I was not expecting. Optimus was not going to come back in the finale. He wasn't suddenly back from the dead. This is when everything changed as part of the mythos. A new cast, a new leader. And it's that point that stuck with me, perhaps even more than Optimus Prime rolling out in his last fight with Megatron, which is a great, iconic scene. You first hear the touch. You see Optimus Prime doing the the explosions under him to get the height. That is such such an iconic scene from the movie. But when it really hit home with me that Optimus was not coming back, this was something different. This was not the TV show. Is when Hot Rod becomes Rodimus Prime, throws Galvatron out of Unicron, and they take back Cybertron immediately off screen. But that is when I realized this, 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 everything changed. And that, and that, those last few minutes with the creation of Rodimus Prime, and I think that's what stuck with me more than anything else. Is it was literally a changing of the guard, and everything has changed. Rodimus then opens the Matrix. Now, light our darkest hour. And with that, Rodimus defeats Unicron. Unicron begins to explode, and it's even noted in the storyboard, and it's kind of wonky, the animation here, but he's in so much pain that he rips off his own leg. I don't know what that kind of pain feels like or what would drive anyone to be in that much pain to go, I want to rip off my own leg, but he does. Uh, The Autobots then regroup inside of Unicron as he starts to reach inside himself to try to get them and ripping himself apart as well. Um, Daniel sees uh, Rodimus and Rodimus Prime gives the order. Autobots, transform and roll out! So the Autobots exit Unicron through his other eye. Oh, that's harsh. Uh, Unicron explodes with the final line ever delivered by Orson Welles on screen. Destiny, you cannot destroy my destiny. And so Unicron's head comes off, and Rodimus assumes leadership of the Autobots. Till all are one! Till all are one! And we pull out to reveal Unicron's head orbiting the planet Cybertron before we cut to credits and that my friends is the 1986 animated film transformers the movie now this film has such a legacy think about this episode in the previous episode of the podcast i deliberately left in people's memories of going to the movie theater or renting this film um because that is a big part of the story uh, as much as the story of the film itself the way this film has expanded the scope and the depth of what was simply a children's cartoon series uh, and turned it into a media franchise all stems from this film. And for a bit more on that, if you were one of my Patreon subscribers, you heard our roundtable discussion about this film. And uh, once again, if you want to sign up, it is the $3 level to hear the exclusive podcast, uh, exclusive Patreon clip, And in that conversation of a bunch of my friends uh, this past New Year's, uh, one line stood out in particular, and that is from my friend Alan 
from Toy Box Comics. When the movie came out, I had been watching the uh, cartoon for two seasons. I was predisposed to liking Transformers already, and the movie took what I liked and made it much bigger, made the whole you know, Transformers universe a much bigger, more exciting place. And it really blows my mind how many people remember um, going to see this in the movies. I didn't see this in the movies. I didn't have the fortune of seeing this uh, in the theaters. And uh, But so many of you did. And how vivid your memories. It's, it's funny to me, for someone who is 40 years old, and if you're in that ballpark, plus or minus, I don't know, five or six years, um, you know, our parents, they knew where they were when JFK was shot. Um we knew where we were, all of us knew where we were, that uh, horrible day on September 11th, 2001. But in between, it seems like, where were you when Optimus Prime died? Where were you when you first saw Transformers the movie uh, is a very vivid memory for us late Gen Xers, early millennials, uh, depending on where you think you fall on that side of the coin. Um it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty freaking sweet. And so for more on his memories of going to see that film is Ben Yee from BWTF.com. The first time I saw uh, Transformers the movie uh, was actually about, a, I want to say three or four weeks after it came out. I originally wanted to see it uh, the weekend it came out, but my family insisted on going to Aliens instead. And what was killer was <laughs> as I walked by the theater where, um, you know, the, the theater had multiple uh, uh, theaters inside. As I, we're walking to the Aliens Theater, I literally walked by and caught a glimpse of Transformers, the movie, <laughs> the theater. And then when we were leaving Aliens, I saw the credits rolling with Unicron's head there. Um, so technically, that's the first time I got a glimpse of the movie. But several weeks later, a group of friends and I got together at a theater called the Marlboro in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, it's not there anymore. I think it's a Marshalls store now. Uh, but it, this was one of the last of the grand um, – uh, theaters in Brooklyn where they only showed, say, one or two films. And this is the type of uh, theater that goes back to like the vaudeville days and, and you know, beautiful decor, balconies and all that. Um, and, and so you can imagine, unlike today's theaters where maybe you walk into a theater and there's only like 50 seats or something, this had a couple hundred seats in it. And it was uh, it was really great because the screen was gigantic. And, you know, when you're a kid, you're a lot smaller. So everything was just so grand in scope. Uh, um, and I, I remember how excited I was going with my friends because when you're that age, even going to a movie, it feels like such an adult thing to do by yourself, no less a Transformers movie. Um, and again, uh, just from a pure mind-blowing experience standpoint, uh, it, it really did live up to its tagline, being beyond my wildest imagination because having only been experienced to the, uh, the original cartoon and maybe some tech specs and some audiobooks, there was no way I could have expected what they presented us. And it's not just Ben who has those memories. Uh, I was recently on Mike Seibert's podcast. He has reached out to me as a fan of the show because he just simply wanted to talk Transformers. So uh, I asked him every, the same things I've asked everyone else. And of course, he knew where he was when he saw the film. Hey, what's up? My name is Mike. I'm the host of the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about why Transformers the Movie is my all-time favorite movie. 
because it is. Um, it's a movie that's always been with me throughout my life, uh, starting when I saw it in the theater back in August of 1986. I was seven years old, and this was the first movie I was allowed to go see by myself. Um, it was at the Bay Theater in Ballard, a Scandinavian fisherman neighborhood in Seattle. I, I remember this very vividly. It was kitschy with porthole windows and uh, fishing nets behind the concession counter, lots of brass. Um, so I sat down with my Dr. Pepper and my Red Vines and my popcorn, and I just remember being blown away by literally everything about the movie as it just washed over me. And it's so funny because I, I remember that's one of my earliest memories of actually being influenced by advertising. I, I specifically remember quoting a commercial uh, to my mom about needing to go see the movie a second time. It's so big, so exciting, you've got to see it twice to take it all in. Transformers, the movie. And it actually worked. Uh, yeah, I was I was able to see Transformers the movie in the theater twice when I was a kid in 1986. And it didn't end there. Um, I watched the movie every year around my birthday in September. Uh, my mom used to rent it for me all the time, uh, paid for the tape several times over easily. Um, but even now, it's still a huge influence with great friendships and cool opportunities coming out of love for this crazy-ass movie. And that special Fathom event showing last year was just a couple weeks after my 40th birthday too, which was pretty cool. But I would say the one thing out of everything else about Transformers the movie that stuck with me long into adulthood is the music. It was my first introduction to so many different weird, amazing things that I had just never heard before in a movie, from prog rock to heavy metal to synth uh, to even Weird Al. Um, I've worn out more than a couple copies of the soundtrack album, but specifically, I've always liked Dare the best. Um, it's, it's just a great driving anthem that just fills you with an exciting run, fight, win feeling uh, that I really love, and I think most completely captures the spirit about what this movie is. Um, it's a cheesy 1980s rock and roll adventure that's still a lot of fun over 30 years later. And because of that, it will always be my favorite movie. My name is Mike Seibert. And until next time, make good choices. Now, of course, <laughs> people remember seeing the film in the theaters and they also remember renting it. It's it's mind blowing. Um, how many people remember if they didn't see it in the movie theaters or if even if they did the, the lengths that they went to, to find it on VHS. And there is no such memory in my head that I remember, um, for me, than my friend, Dave D square productions, um, telling me, and I went and reached out to him cause I wanted him to, to share this story with you. And so Dave has a love for this film and it can only be experienced by being heard. Hey, what's up everybody? This is D Squared, Dirty Dave of Rob Boss, here to talk to you about this Transformers animated movie. And man, if you saw this when it came out, it was a game changer. I remember coming back from, from the theater and every kid in the block just ran up to our car like, yo, you saw it, what happened, what happened? And whew, you know, I wasn't ready for for the amount of devastation that happened during the beginning of this movie, a, a lot of uh, 
a lot of storylines came to an end and a lot of new ones began and and it was a shock to the system to say the least so i fell in love with this movie and you know back then you had to wait for it to come back on tv to see it again you didn't have an opportunity to to just wait three months or two months till a blu-ray came out i mean this is this was the days of vhs um, so I went hunting for a VHS as a kid, and it was a long journey. Anyone who knows me knows the effort I put into trying to find this movie. Um, if my parents took me out of state for a trip or, or we just happened to be out of town somewhere, uh, I would make sure we checked the, the local video stores or rental shops to see what chance there was that someone had, had not taken it or, or not snatched it up. So it was a couple years that I was I was on the hunt for this movie, and I eventually found it at my local video store, which I got a lot of crap for. Everyone's like, "How did you not check there?" But I did. Um, you know, it was just never there. Someone had always rented it, and I wouldn't give it back. I was just like, "Yeah, I lost it. I don't know how much you want for this, but uh, it's not coming back." So, um, what's the damage? And uh, they hit me with a bill for forty bucks, which was a lot. When you're a kid, $40 is a lot. Um, but they actually calculated the fees for these videos based on how much you could potentially make as a rental. So if you tried to buy a VHS back then from a from a store, they would say it would be $200. It was astronomical. So I got off kind of cheap, I guess, $40. Bucks. Um, and uh, yeah, it was mine. And then the rub was that it, it, was, it was out of print for a while. I guess that was why it was hard to find. I had to do this research pre-internet. Um, or, 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 you know, the baby stages of the internet. So not everyone was registered. You, you didn't find every store online. Um, so doing any kind of research was, was still a lot of work. Um, and I found out that the company that put it out, FHE had gone under. So they had just sold the rights. And right after I had finished my journey trying to get this movie and tracking it down, it ended up coming out again for everyone to enjoy, which was good. You know, I could share it. And I ended up buying it again because uh, the copy from the video store that I got when I just took it home and never gave it back, they didn't give you the cover, so I didn't have the cover. So now I probably have like three or four different versions of it, Blu-ray, DVD, two VHS. Um, but yeah, I love this movie. And I wanted to do a, something a little special for it. Uh, so I wrote a little something paying homage to it. It's it's basically my book report, my audio book report of uh of Transformers the movie. I hope you dig it. In the year 2005 on the planet Cybertron, war broke out between Autobots and Decepticons. It got messy, they were running low on Energon. Some Autobots got shot dead, jumped by Megatron. Even Perceptor couldn't see him coming through as they breached the city's defenses and the battle ensued. Poor Braum was a strong man who rode around the land, even though he roughly stands about five foot two. Got blasted in an instant with iron hide and ratchet. And Prowl stopped burn once his engine blew a gasket. Even Optimus Prime had got his metal ass kicked in the first ten minutes. It's of this animated classic. The Transformers, there. Marta meets the eye, not your average machines off the assembly line. The Transformers, row, 
Bots disguised, 20 foot tall, heavy metal, c-c-c-car guys. Now Prime passed the matrix of leadership to another. His brother Ultra Magnus, they knew he couldn't recover. A soldier not worthy, though he knew he was tough. A leader you would think would have to be made of some sterner stuff. Now the matrix, they said, one day would light the darkest hours. So far so good, but so what if you can't unleash its power? They mourned while the Decepticons fled to the train station. Decided they should jettison waiter, they wouldn't make it. The wounded were discarded and Megatron got the boat. While Starscream fought the others for dominance of the group. Now floating in space, they encountered the real threat, the living planet Unicron, but they weren't done just yet. The Transformers, there, more than meets the eye, not your average machines off the assembly line. The Transformers, robots disguised as 20 foot tall heavy metal Kakar guys. So then Unicron offers a deal to die in Megatron, transforms his minions in him more than a step beyond. To Galvatron and a sweep scourge to track a Cyclonus task to kill the Autobots on behalf of their master. They find Starscream murder and dethrone him. And threaten anyone who would dare try to oppose them They want the Matrix and they rally to get it back Find Ultra Magnus' ship and attack, force him to crash And now stranded on the planet of junk Meanwhile, Hot Rod and Cup falling some bad luck It's sick, sentenced to death by questionable quintessons And narrowly escaped the Piranhas with the Dinobots Galvatron returns, presents a prize to his master Then tries to turn it on him and it only courts disaster So Unicron transforms and the universe converges All the forces to try and take down this monster that emerges But the young Hot Rod breaches the belly of the beast to defeat Galvatron once the Matrix is unleashed. The planet is destroyed, a new leader is born. Till all are one. You got the touch, now word is born. The Transformers, there, more than meets the eye. Not your average machines off the assembly line. The Transformers, robots in disguise as 20 foot tall heavy metal car guys. And <laughs> that song, that song kills it, man. Um. Two things, two things about Dave. Uh, one, I want to give him a shout out and props uh, for finally winning an AVN award. Uh, if you're over 18, you might know what that is, but he has won uh, his first AVN for the soundtrack to Hamilton, and I couldn't be prouder of my friends. I love when my friends do good and uh, uh, when they accomplish things, and so it makes me happy uh, deep down to hear that when I heard the news. Dave had one. Number two, he mentions about going to the video store to pay them 40 bucks uh, for the VHS tape. I'm pretty sure it was more than that because I was with him <laughs> when he had to go walk up to the store and do it. Um, I know his mom wrote him a check. I guess it was for 40 bucks. Um, I swear it was for more because he had to pay late fees on it on top of that. But it's interesting. We probably all wouldn't be having this conversation not specifically about this movie, but the previous 50 episodes of this podcast, if not for this film. Um, this is not just the centerpiece, but this is the Big Bang as well. This is the explosion uh, that leads to everything else 35 years later. Um, it creates fandom. It created friendships. It creates conversations because so many people have seen that movie and identified with it. And so for more on that, we're going to go once more back to the gang from Autopod Decepticast. It's pretty simple to say uh, and obvious to say that, you know, we've stuck together. <gasps> yeah. Uh, and we never so, would have if it weren't for Transformers the movie. No, I, I don't think that's true at all. Although it gave us an excuse to get together and hang right. out because of our podcast. Right. So, I mean, I think uh, our obviously our friendship and partnerships and our creative endeavors have had uh, there's other aspects to it. But Transformers has been a, a central part to that. And uh, I think that that's probably the most valuable and long lasting aspect that 
you know, that's a pretty <laughs> cheesy answer, and I get it. But uh, I would say, apart from that, if you want to get specific into like the Transformers universe, back to what Ryan was saying, I was always really compelled where they would go visit uh, uh, Unicron's head, and they would mm -hmm. like go around inside that. that was season and three. You had like Optimus Prime's uh, memorial, and you had the ghost of Starscream, and, and it, it always was fascinating that uh, it, it was kind of like, you know two separate kind of epics. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the movie itself sets us up. It sets up the world to be bigger because the and universe, crazier. The you're going yeah. into space. The universe expands. And you're not, the boundaries aren't Earth and Cybertron sometimes. It's true. Now it's limitless and other races. Yeah. And, and, and the fulcrum of that being Transformers the movie. And finally, I certainly wouldn't have met one of my closest friends in the world. Uh, you hear him just about every episode. And so it's only fitting that we wrap up this podcast with a check-in with Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman. Hey folks, uh, Salty Seaman here, uh, talking about uh, my feelings on uh, Transformers the movie. Uh, if you are a Patreon here, uh, you, you might have heard or listened to a panel I hosted at a recent gathering of a lot of Transformer friends and fans, but I did not, but I, I have not given my... Uh, you know, just, just my personal view. Like I, I talked about a little bit, of course, my personal views on there, but here's some other one more, uh, more in depth, uh, feelings, uh, basically from the time, just, I was just going to review my time, you know, not just, ref not reflect back on it now, but how I felt about it back then. So as I may or may not have mentioned on the, uh, the panel, uh, you know, I, the movie came in and out of my area really, really fast. I was, pumped for it i was i couldn't wait to uh watch me some transformers on the big screen i mean that was like that was the big thing that was uh between third and fourth grade you know that was the shit like it was oh my god transformers they got a movie all these new characters you know look at it it, it looks so crazy and cool and like oh my god prime might die that, that was a big deal so my biological mother was in town it couldn't have been more than three weeks since the release I was nine years old. I really didn't, you know, I wasn't pushing to go see it on opening weekend. Like I, I just, my mind had other things on it, I guess, other than bugging my parents to go see Transformers. The movie. But I, I did think about it. But when my mom asked, of course, I was like, yeah, I want to go see Transformers. And, you know, this is before the internet and whatnot. But she called around for like an hour, any movie theater, anywhere, anywhere kind of nearby. You know, she wasn't in town a lot. So like, you know, stuff like that. She, she really, really tried on and, yeah, nobody was playing it. I mean, nothing within like almost an hour drive distance. So, uh, yeah, I, I missed out on the uh, the movie in theater originally. I, I did rectify it just last year. I finally seen the movie in theaters. So Five Faces of Darkness airs and, you know, however much of season three starts. And uh, so, of course, now I, I'm hip to the game. I know what happened. You know, I realize there's a time jump. Megatron became Galvatron. This, uh, this guy Rodimus Prime takes over. Uh, you know, and that was not what I was expecting. Uh, and I'll get more on that when I review my part of five, five Faces of Darkness. So a new Prime was dead and a bunch of other guys. I think I think I even saw like a Dark Awakening before I saw the movie, if I recall correctly. It's a little hazy, that time frame right around there, like uh, late fall, uh, 86. But... I do remember what it, I got a hold of it the week it came out, like that Friday, 
you know, my mom did the normal, uh, take me to the, uh, we'd go to the, uh, it was a Hollywood video, but it wasn't a Hollywood video. It was, that was the name of the place, but it wasn't no connection to the, uh, the chain <laughs> small town, Douglasville, Georgia here. And yeah, I, I managed to snag it like that, you know, that weekend. And I must've watched it four times, uh, between Friday and Sunday. And my mom had to return it Monday afternoon. And, uh, yeah, I was, it, it, it really did. It was more than I expected. I, cause going in and like pretty much having all this, most of the spoilers done, you know, finding out some details you didn't know because, you know, they didn't very quick exposition on the, and then there was no internet back then, of course. And like the handful of kids I knew were like, you know, told details about it that weren't true. And it's like, it, it was real sketchy. Like it was like prime and Megatron got chewed up by Unicron and, Ultra Magnus was now the leader and, you know, heard all this stuff before five faces of darkness started, but still, so there's a lot of gaps to fill in. And I really, I just enjoyed, it. I fell in love with it because the, I mean, just the animation was so good and it was so mature, you know, when you're nine years old, you're really craving that kind of, uh, desire for something a little more mature. I think at that age, you know, and you saw they were really amping up the violence and, you know, it's like, hey, this this ain't your TV show. We're 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 making it big and bad for the movie. It was just, you know, and I loved it all. I loved the music. You know, and I, and you know, on a personal level, it wasn't anything. I, I looked at it as like, okay, well, this is you know a, a stop in the story of Transformers, and now we're going to a different chapter. Like, uh, you know, not to dwell on the whole Prime thing. It was like, you know, I I, I was into Rodimus. I I really was. I thought he was he was a fun leader. I ended up enjoying his personality. You know, I like Hot Rod a lot in this movie. I really like Spring. I like I liked a lot of the guys. And you know, later on, uh, you know, the TV version of of Galvatron would just become one of my favorite characters ever. Like even as a a young kid, you know, Autobot, you know, live and die Autobot fan. But you know, I recognize Galvatron was a lot of fun. It's a super powerful, almost demigod who's batshit crazy. It's a lot of fun uh, fiction going that way. And, you know, that's kind of where the movie sat with me. You know, like I I watched it, you know, I rented it a few more times and watch it at least twice, almost every time I rented it until like I recorded it off TV when they aired it. And I would later see like even the, the power master prime Tommy version. I'd watch it again. I think I recorded that one as well because I remember having the, the touch video on tape at some point and seeing it quite a bit. And I believe that's when it aired. But yeah, overall, it was uh, it was a big part of big part of that time in my childhood. I really, really liked it. You know, who could have predicted, you know, where where everything was going to go after that, and uh, you know, you know, the GI Joe movie going straight to video. I remember, like as a kid, telling me, you know, there were parts of me telling me, like this is, you know, maybe something's peaked. Maybe I didn't have that terminology in my mental vocabulary at the time. That was pretty much what was going on. And I was kind of recognizing it and, you know, just hanging on and trying to enjoy it as long as possible until my own uh, interest started to wane. So, yeah, that's it for Salty Seaman talking about Transformers the movie one more time. Back to you, Ant. And that will do it for our look back, our two-part look back on Transformers the movie from 1986. But the coverage doesn't stop there. We are still plowing through 1986 and we're still going to talk about the movie uh in its various adaptations and forms 
Um, but we're going to dissect this film along a bit more with some other Transformers uh, cinematic stuff uh, with my friend J.C. Reifenberg, filmmaker, producer, um, restaurateur, owner of Scum and Villainy Cantina. And that is in our next episode, episode 52 of Transformers University. Of course, you could check out that podcast right now if you swing on by our Patreon, patreon.com slash TFU info. A dollar will get you in. Uh, you'll get that episode a week ahead, uh, plus many other goodies. Uh, we have some exclusive podcasts for those who are at the $3 and up level. And uh, it's just a great way to interact with me and with the show. Of course, if you want to interact with me other places, I am on Twitter at TFU underscore info and Facebook and Instagram, uh, either one.com slash TFU info. And of course, please subscribe to the YouTube channel youtube.com slash tfuinfo so you know what's coming next in the show i don't have to tease it but all i'd say is don't miss it uh it's an incredible conversation it's gonna make you look at this film in an entirely different way it sure did for me until next time i'm anthony brucali owner operator madman behind tfu.info see you